Hello and welcome to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with me, Alexander Sternberg, and Dom Loach. How you doing, Dom? I'm good, thank you very much. <laughs> You're ready to talk about this absolutely depressing film. <laughs> as always, as always, with, with any type of this thing. It's always going to be depressing, Sterner. Yeah. We, we could have picked a really, like, fun bullshit thing for the first one, and we've gone for Antichrist. The perfect start to any day. Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was... It's a weird Sunday afternoon, all right. Well, yep. Today's film is Antichrist. Released to both critical acclaim and controversy, the film brought the extreme horror elements firmly into the art house, at once a heartbreaking character drama, a study of grief, and perhaps the most intense cabin in the hot... Wo- the most intense Cabin in the Woods horror movie ever made, Von Trier's film has since become a staple of the extreme cinema canon, and we're discussing it today. So, Dom, what did you think of Antichrist? I mean, I guess I'll start with, like, a scar type of thing. And, like, for me, for me, 9 out of 10, I would say. I'd, I'd give it a 10. It's it's pretty like it's pretty much a masterpiece, I, I consider it. Uh, it's not my favourite Von Trier, Breaking the Waves is, but this is second, and, like, <laughs> the second it started, I was like, yep, this is what I remember with the, you know, the first... Oh, it's full spoilers. Every episode is full spoilers. This is, these are all in-depth discussions. Um, like, the first scene, it starts with, you know, the beautifully shot black and white footage... Um, and then the kid falling out the window, I was like, just dead already, completely. Yeah, exactly. Like it, start, it just starts so dark, and it somehow gets worse. Yeah, I think it's a, one of the most like beautifully dark tone setters I've ever seen in my life for a movie. And it sets that, like, it hits you with the grief straight away. Straight, and it's sort of, the first scene, it's sort of, it's fucking the first three minutes is beautiful like actually beautiful and then you kind of work out what's about to happen and it's horrible yeah well i think it kind of von Trier's editing has always been a thing like what he does with editing oh, yeah is like that messes with you even before you kind of realize where it's going yeah on on the on the breaking the waves blu-ray commentary he's talking with the editor of that i maybe i should have done some research and pulled up his name um and they're talking about how because breaking the waves has so many jump cuts which this also has and they talk about like we decided not to cut like continuously we cut emotionally so we thought when like the performances build to their height we'll just cut even if it looks even if it takes you out the film even if it's a jump cut and that sounds pretentious as hell but it works. It works in all his films. It works in this. It works in Dancer in the Dark. It works in Breaking the Waves. Uh, and I, I love I love this period of Von Trier because he mixes that and the kind of Dogma 95 realism, which is also down to the performances, which we'll get into later. And he mixes that with all the like really surreal elements. And there's so many instances in this film where the camera goes from being handheld and Dogma 95 and, you know, almost documentary style to suddenly it's on a tripod or suddenly it's been play steady and instantly the film it just shifts feeling and it works so well oh yeah definitely i love the like you said documentary style almost of what he does but he breaks 
so many rules. Like the the I, <laughs> the idea of the one eighty rule is completely thrown out of the window in some points. Where instead of cutting, it just cuts to the other side of the person instead, and it's beautiful and it's breaking every rule that you could possibly think of. But he does it so well, and I think you could like kind of see it as a pretentious move, but Von Trier manages, especially in this, especially in this, to make it mean something and how it affects your psyche. It's it's emotional. Like, it's so goddamn emotional. And the first sort of... I mean, and you know, it, what really struck me, because this is the third or fourth time I've seen this, and what really struck me this time was how long it takes to get gory. It takes till the last 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and those 20 to 30 minutes feel like they last forever in a good way, and we'll talk about that later. But, like, most of this film is a character drama. Most of this film is Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg knocking it out the park. And they're char- just heartbreaking. Like, um, Gainsbourg's portrayal of grief is sort of an for me, at least on a personal level, a kind of all-time fearless, memorable uh, performance. Yeah, I think, like, not even thinking about the deeper interpretations yet, it is just a character drama about grief and human relationship, almost. Like, obviously takes it yeah, to, a, to, to an extreme <laughs> beyond anything. That's why it's literally the first film we're talking about but it is definitely it's it's kind of what i was what i was saying before with the you know the difference is the kind of realistic and then suddenly surreal um the mix of the two this it works the same way in that you've got on the one hand uh two two characters only drama and on the other hand this we're going to a cabin in the woods and bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah, and I think it's, like I was said, like such a grounded thing because it were based on Von Trier's own personal depression as well. So there's so much of that in there. Like, you can feel it so much, like, that even though it does have insanely surreal elements to it, it seems to keep grounded. And I think that documentary style does that as well, that it kind of does. It's a, it's a weird movie. <laughs> like... it, it really is. It really is. I think what's interesting, I mean, you mentioned that Von Trier's depression. I mean, Mark Kermode in his BFI player interview, um, introduction for the film, says sort of it's part a practical joke. And I just, I see that for the house that Jack built and I see that for parts of Nymphomaniac. I mean, Von Trier now... I mean, okay, to an extent he always was, but now especially he is a troll. But this, I just, I just don't see any of it as insincere. I see, I see no part of this. I see this as a real, absolutely pitch black film that is meant 100% sincerely. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that kind of side of the interpretation. Because, like, I know some people see the Chaos Reigns Fox as him just taking it a bit absurdist, but I don't see that. Neither. I don't understand it. It's effectively creepy imagery, and then it comes back later in a, in a completely just sincere way when, you know, nature, which is Satan, 
and the three beggars are there. I mean, I don't quite know how to interpret when the deer, the fox, and the uh, and the raven are in the house, but I don't see that as like the house that Jack built. Him showing you his film, his old films, which is unbearable. I I see that as like as a very genuine moment. Yeah, same. And I guess now we've talked about the three beggars and everything. Um, what do you think of the chapters, which is obviously a Von Trier staple. He does it in every single fucking film that he's ever made. Man loves his chapters. At least there are only like four in this, <laughs> not ten. But yeah, it's grief, hate, I like... despair, three beggars. Um, grief, despair, what was the other one? Pain and three beggars. Pain, yes. Yeah. I like the three chapters and I love I love the transition. Bet- oh, well, there's four actually, if you recall. There's the fourth one at the end where, where it gets proper horror. Because j- j- the, the transition between chapter two and three is the Chaos Reigns Fox. And then that that is like, there's no time jump between that chapter. And I really love that, that it's like title chapter three and then it's just back to where it was and then three to four there's been like hours between i really yeah. like that the, the difference between those so that's once he's um again breaking like every single rule yeah that's once he's been buried isn't it yeah yeah the... that's once the the horror elements really get in another question i had was how much of a horror do you think this actually is it's a full horror it's a horror movie i know it's you could consider it slowly paced i don't it's a horror movie through and through. Horror, like, always deals with this kind of shit. And I, I wanted to um, say, and this is, it's always been in my head like this, because I watched this film first not knowing who Von Trier was. This was the first Von Trier film I've seen. So I watched it initially because it was a horror movie. And to me, this is the precursor to the trend in the 2010s, specific, I mean, that got really going in the late 2010s, of the kind of what the Guardian horribly, pretentiously, awfully called post-horror. But, you know, the kind of the Ari Aster, the Robert Eggers genre, the Jennifer Kent, the genre of, you know, it's a serious drama, but also a horror movie, which existed long before this. I hate how it's like, no, these are serious movies, unlike all this old horror. But there is a trend of it now, and I think this is very much the precursor to it coming out in 2009. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think um, because reading interviews with Vantry and stuff, he said it definitely came from him wanting to do a horror movie. Like, that's where the initial idea before anything else was even laid out was he wanted to do a horror movie. And he does say that it amalgamated into something else, which I guess kind of there's other elements in there, but it's a horror movie, like, through and through. I noticed in the credits... The, in research, it's got, you know, research on, uh, gynocide, research on, um, it was, you know, a bunch, uh, astrology, I believe one was, it was like research on this, 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 and then one of them was research on horror movies, and I was like, huh? I, I mean, I, I've never seen a film like that, where it's re, unless it's a proper theme of the film, that they had someone properly researching horror films, but it's, the, the clear intention was a horror film, I mean, as you said, Von Trier said this in an interview, and, there's just such a clear... I mean, the comparison, which I'm not the first to make this, is to Evil Dead. It, well, it's to, it's to Cabin in the Woods horror films. Yeah, definitely. What... Because um, I have a few wrote down, but I wonder your opinion on it. What other influences 
mainly horror do you see in there? Other than, well, hmm. well, I think the primary, it's, I don't think you can call this an influence actually, but the primary thing I see this as is like post Dogma 95, because obviously this is nothing, nowhere near Dogma 95. Um, it's not even pretending to be like almost all the Dogma 95 films were, but I, I see it as a continuation of that philosophy and then in that philosophy, you have what Von Trier, which I want to talk a lot about at the end, but what Von Trier clearly sees as something Tarkovsky-esque because dedicated to Tarkovsky at the end. Which yeah. Is, I mean, I think he's 100% sincere, but that could be a joke. Like, that's the only bit of the film I could see anyone going, okay, that's got to be a joke, but it's it's not, and I don't think it is. Uh, I, I think that's what Von Trier sees this as. In terms of influences other than horror, I mean... Uh, Zuolski's possession is like a really obvious one this sort of marriage falling apart and you got this sort of horror not even a metaphor just this horror film happening around it yeah do you want me to tell uh, you what, one yes yes I was going to ask you what what did you write down a big one that I have that the the beginning just completely reminds me of is don't look now yes 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 that's that seems so obvious when you say it, but it wasn't even in yeah, my head because it, it's its own thing. But yes, those opening scenes. The opening scene is just like shot for shot almost. <laughs> Obviously not, but the idea is exactly the same. And it like... You know. It obviously takes grief into another factor that Don't Look Now does, but it's very similar. It's very similar. You know, I think the Don't Look Now opening might be even more effective than this. The Don't Look... I mean, they're both sort of pit in your stomach, but, like, watching... When I saw Don't Look Now, I was just like, I don't know, should I turn this film off right now? It's just hot. It just hits you just so hard, that. Yeah, definitely. And another one I had, which is a very, very weird one, and it's just for, like, one singular little bit, um, is... The flashes of her face. Do you know when they're on the train and you see flashes of her face appearing? Yeah. It's so exorcist. Like, it's so exorcist. It's a... <laughs> Director's cut of exorcist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I thought that too. I don't quite know why that's there, to be honest. It no. looks cool. It yeah. looks really cool. I think that's why it's there, because it looks cool. Going from then stuff that, like, looks cool to actually deeper meanings, like... What's your grand interpretation of the film? Because I know everybody has one. My grand interpretation of the film, it's it's really fairly literal. It's about grief eating you up from inside, basically, and ch- and changing who you are. I I think that's the real focus of the film. I think that's what makes it work so well. Is that underneath the horror aesthetic, underneath the murder and the you know, mutilation and the gore is is grief. So I, I think it's just very simply the darkest way to put grief, like literal and non-literal grief on film. What, what about you? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I only asked that in such a like grand way to try and see if you had some other <laughs> <laughs> grand interpretation. There's a lot of, well, well, really, it's a story about family. <laughs> <laughs> kind of what? There's a lot of religious subtext in there, I guess. Eden is the name of the place to go. A lot well, of... that's, that's the... 
a lot that's of like, sort of rebirth stuff. And I think the th- Three Beggars is a religious text as well, or some kind of fairy tale that centers around Christ. I think a, a very common, which I think is also correct, but it's not that interesting to me to be very honest. Is Adam and Eve returning to to Eden and it being horribly corrupted? Yeah, I can see that because it's, it's like, clearly it's clearly intended. Yeah, all of the animals kind of corrupted as well. But like doing research for this is von Trier even says he doesn't really know what the hell he meant a lot of the time with this film, which is fair enough. I believe that. I believe that with von Trier. I mean, I think the biggest comparison between this film and any other film is the net is Montreal's next film, which is probably his most successful film, which is Melancholia. They're so similar because it's I mean it's part of the trilogy of depression, but Nymphomaniac is quite distinct from Antichrist and Melancholia. Melancholia also is this film about this is about grief, but Melancholia is about depression. It's entirely directed from the point of view of someone who is severely depressed, and you also have the introduction with the classical music of of the world just ending. And you could almost consider them the same introduction, because obviously the world ending in Melancholia is a metaphor. And in Antichrist, their world is ending. Right there. Yeah, that is... That does make a lot of sense, actually. (laughs) I I knew they were part of the same... I knew it was part of the trilogy of depression. But I've definitely never linked them together and never linked it... Definitely never linked it to Nymphomaniac. Oh, no, I don't understand... The in the connecting to the infomaniac is Charlotte Gainsbourg and the <laughs> style. Like Melancholia and Antichrist, I see is so similar. I like. I'm a defender. I'm an apologist for Nymphomaniac. <laughs> I know you. And are. I just don't see them as any part of the trilogy. <laughs> if we ever get to uh, that, you will see that I am not. But <laughs> like, <laughs> ep- ep- episode 169. I guess I need five and a half hours spare to watch this again. <laughs> um. I, I th- we should My real up. experience with Antichrist, and I'm... Go for it. Oh, no, I was just to say we should probably move on to talking about the shocking parts and how you <laughs> view them as part well, of the uh, Yes, this was... Well, I was just about to, uh, to say my main experience from this, from watching this, the main word I'd use to describe the whole film is punishing. <laughs> I, when it gets to the last 20, 30 minutes... And I mean this in a positive way, and you can't say this for many films as a positive. I wanted it to be over. It's horrible to watch. It is, genuinely. But I, I don't feel it's intentionally shocking. It's weird. Because <laughs> some of the stuff that, that happens... That is weird. How? How? <laughs> I don't know. It just... Because a lot of it that just happens, it, it just feels so matter-of-fact. Like... But that's what's shocking about it. Yeah, no, I, d- I just, like, usually in a lot of extreme cinema, it's, like, this, this big event happening and, like, like hundreds of people getting murdered or brutally fucked up or whatever. And this is just, like, oh, yeah, she smashed his penis with a, a big wood bar. That just happened. It's fine. <laughs> like, and oh, yeah, she's drilling. coming blood. Yeah, oh, yeah, she's drilling through his leg, whatever. Like... I mean, obviously that's a hundred percent true, but I just that's just von Trier's style. I mean, by that logic, nothing that happens in Dancer in the Dark is meant to be a big deal when it it, it clearly is. I think that's what makes this so much worse than say. I mean, I'm trying to think of a a good movie, which 
like Saw or something, which this is more extreme than Saw. But oh, yeah. It just this... Von Trier's films have always... the. It's about... it's They're the most depressing and effective emotional films. There's some of them that I've seen. They have a lot of problems with some of his films, but he's good at emotion. Like, fundamentally, he's an emotional director. And in Dancer in the Dark, I've seen, you know... There are other films about the death penalty. There's one which I cannot remember the title of, which kind of shows you its quality's average, was like Susan Sarandon, made in the 90s. And it's pretty, pretty hard because it's about the death penalty. But Dancer in the Dark, just the way it's done, it's infinitely harder. And this is true with Antichrist because it's so matter of fact and it's so documentary style, all the extreme bits that it's just it it's horrendous to watch you know oh yeah when i said it's not intentionally shocking it's still definitely horrific like, like... i mean i i is there much of an opinion out there that this film would be good if it wasn't shocking because i can imagine people saying that but i've not seen that online i've never seen that no and i don't think it, it hold any water no. particularly that's the thing like i I think it's just such a, a perfect ending. I mean, the main theme of this film, other than grief, which we've talked about at length, is is misogyny. And specifically I was Gettysburg. literally go- going to ask you if you think it's a misogynistic film. <laughs> oh no, it's not a misogynist. It's like one of few Von Trier films that I don't think is. And it's a, it, it should be the most misogynistic thing it's done. But it's the less. Like, if you think to... To Dancer in the Dark and Breaking the Waves, those are about sort of idealized women, you know, going through hell. And I think there's a really legitimate critique of that. But this, I don't think it is. Um, I think that, that, you know, Gainsbourg having this internalized misogyny, you know, she's saying such outlandish things about women historically being evil. That You know, there's no room for interpretation that this is an endorsed view or it's the view of the film or it's a view you should come out of the cinema for it and charlotte gainsburg is anything other than insane um for cutting off her own clitoris in the film like it's i think maybe calling it a, i mean we are you know i'm a guy i i don't i i, I have no phd in this but like yeah. I, I, you know I, maybe going as so far as to call it a feminist film is too far but i don't think it's misogynistic i think a theme of the film is misogynist yeah, that's exactly what I think as well. With her, like, crippling both her son and husband is very, uh, I think, quite telling. And I didn't, this is the second time I've ever watched it. So this is, it was only the second time on this rewatch. And I didn't fully pick up on, like, the parallels of um, it comes out that she's crippling her son and then also cripples her husband to make him stay with her. It's very, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like this woman's insane, but that's part of the the whole thing. It's not a misogynistic film. It's showing misogyny, and because it's what that whole women are inherently evil thing within it as well. That's the thing. It's so it, this whole like, and it, like celestially evil, like naturally evil, is the view that she has for the guilt of her. You know only son dying while they were having sex now she has this view it's about her grief and you know insanity towards the end that this happens it's it's definitely not an endorsed 
view of the film and I think it's really interesting. I think it's really well done. I think the discussions are really good uh, about that. And I absolutely love uh, Defoe's character because we talked a lot about how amazing Charlotte Gainsbourg and this is fearless, like absolutely fearless performance. Few actors would agree to do this role. And like when I first saw this film, I was amazed to learn afterwards she was a singer because you kind of have the idea in your head that singers <laughs> aren't good actors. <laughs> Maybe Battleship starring Rihanna had just come out or something and that was in my head. Um, but fuck, she's a good actor. Oh yeah, she's ridiculous in it. I mean, towards the end, a lot of the film is just screaming as much as they possibly can. But... <laughs> it, she, but the way she screams, like she's going hoarse. Like you don't see that often in films. Like when she's screaming like, you bastard, where are you? Like, She's losing her voice, and that's really how people scream in reality, and you don't often see that in film. And when you see something that's so realistic, it it's seeing that that makes you realise, oh, you don't see something like this directed this well often. No, exactly. It's it's so weirdly realistic, I think, is like the takeaway from Antichrist a lot of the time. As out there as it can get, it's so horribly realistic a lot of the time oh god completely from this like the sound design and the gore effects um the animals like the raven eating its prey that's one of the most horrific things in the film because it just looks real oh god yeah i know and I, i also like only picked up on like themes of the bird killing its child and stuff like that with the with the parallels to the mother. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, that's a stillbirth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the deer galloping through and then it's having a stillbirth. That's, that's an emotional image, even if it wasn't in this context of a film about grief and loss. It's, that's really quite hard to watch. Yeah, exactly. And what do you um, think mo- but, yeah, a- Defoe- about Willem Dafoe's character? Because I, it's, He's weirdly obsessed with psychology, like, even from the beginning. Like, he, he never really asks about the child. Well, he is a therapist. Yeah, I know, but he never really asks about the child or the death because that's clearly what's affecting her. Well, and and um, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character says this in the film, arrogant. Like, Defoe's... This is really what struck me watching this again. He's such a bad like not a bad person but he's such a flawed person like he is his pseudo scientific nonsense and like charlotte games keep saying oh you think you know better than everyone so he's got her off her medicine he's like oh this is this is what's right i know what's right and i'm not a doctor so we're gonna fucking expose you to all your fears this isn't gonna go wrong we're gonna have these intense psychological you know sessions you don't need medicine or medical care just need me your husband to treat you it's like, he's just so arrogant. He's just so awful to be around. Yeah, exactly. And what do you think about the ending? Because the only bit that still fucking confuses the hell out of me is that ending. I, I, I like, I don't know if there's... He's either dead or they were searching for them in the woods. That's, like, it. In terms of a literal uh, way it is. I, in fact, I don't even know if there's a metaphor behind it. Yeah, exactly. It is confusing. I, I, think, I agree. I think that's and it's literally... it's matched with the... With... I think that's literally the bit that 
Trio was talking about when he was like, I don't have a clue what I was doing. I'm pretty sure it's referring to that ending. Like, <laughs> that would make, and it's it's like weirdly matched with the first scene, which works like stylistically, but it's weird. It doesn't belong. It doesn't have a reason to do that. I mean, that'd be like the only problem I see with the film, I guess, is that it's one thing to be like, is he dead? Is he not dead? Maybe this is some grand metaphor, who knows? But I don't know why it's matched with with the intro. No, same. What were you saying you wanted to talk about Tarkovsky <laughs> in relation to it? Like... Oh, yeah. That's it, dedicated to Tarkovsky. I mean, I've seen every Tarkovsky. You you haven't yet, but... No, I've do... only seen Mirror. Is this dedicated to Tarkovsky? Well, Mirror, Mirror and Nostalgia, which I don't think you've seen, are the ones that get me, because I wanted to ask, is this dedicated to Tarkovsky? Like... Because I can see the kind of the tableaus, the slow motion of the acorn, you know, falling down. That is reminiscent of Tarkovsky. That's reminiscent of like the big scenes in Mirror where she's floating up the bed or in um, Nostalgia as well. There are sort of scenes where people are just standing and it is, I don't actually know if it's slow motion or not, but it's, they're still, they're completely still images basically. And that's the only scenario i see similar to anything tarkovsky does i just don't see anything like this to tarkovsky like when um only god forgives which maybe we'll do one day and i can defend it till i die <laughs> ends with dedicated to alejandro Hodorowsky. you get it you know why this is dedicated to alejandro Hodorowsky. in fact it actually helps put the film in context this ends dedicated to tarkovsky and you go what <laughs> <laughs> Not really a uh, Tarkovsky-esque film in any sense of the word, particularly. It's not a ghost story. It's it's Antichrist. Like, <laughs> 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 I guess at this point we should probably go into final thoughts. Final thoughts. Hmm. Well, I fucking love this movie. It's depressing. It's it's really tough watch. It gets tougher every time I watch it. In fact. This was probably the most I didn't close my eyes in it, and I was still covering my face throughout that last 20 minutes. It's it's not an easy watch. It's what you do when you, like, I want a dark, depressing, horrific film. And if you're into horror, and you're into dark, depressing, like, real films, watch this. It's so, so good. It's... It is a, I, I'd consider it a masterpiece. I, it's my second favorite Lars von Trier behind Breaking the Waves. I would put it ahead of Dancer in the Dark. It's, it's just, I couldn't recommend it highly enough if you are of the persuasion to watch something like this. And I love the fact that people who are chasing, because this was such a staple of those early YouTube 10 most disturbing films ever <laughs> videos. And I love the fact that people were recommended this in those videos because they get this is this is kind of why we're starting with it they get just such a layered thoughtful film in this extreme horror movie and i love it what about you well yeah that's uh obviously you said most of the stuff i agree with there but like a thing i would add is it's a great place to start with extreme horror as well well just extreme movies not even extreme horror because it shows you kind of what they're about and it kind of shows you how deep into emotion they do go. And it's not like some schlocky... The fact this has purpose. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not some schlucky. The fact terrible, it has purpose. The fact some, some like schlucky, terrible horror that's just like extreme. This actually has some sense of purpose and like shows you how things can be extreme, but also mean something at the same time. Com- uh, completely, completely agree. And how this stuff it can be very emotionally affected. Like this is hardcore, you know, masochistic watch. It's horrendous, but. It just it shows what purpose this stuff can have. And there's a lot of films, we'll talk about a bunch of them that have this shit in for no purpose whatsoever. This is yeah. not one of them. Yeah, this is a great film. So do you want to reveal what episode two is going to be, Sterner? No, I was going to ask you, Dom, what is the next film uh, we're going to be tackling? The next film on, which is another great film, and I'd say... Is very different though. <laughs> Will be uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust, directed by Rodeo Deodata. I, I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. I've been wanting to revisit that for some time. Yeah, same. I shall watch it on YouTube in preparation because that <laughs> thing's on YouTube. <laughs> on you, watch it uncut on YouTube. The be the the Blu-ray of it has cuts here, but you can just go on YouTube. You know you. 10 year old go on youtube and go watch that shit uncut yep so anyway we'll we'll talk about cuts next week because this antichrist was uncut yeah that's very true actually we will be getting into a lot eventually about cuts especially in this country (laughs) i'm so excited for whenever we get to salo i get i've got the booklet of the correspondence regarding the cuts and i'm so excited to read out some of the sentences in there because that's hilarious right do you want to do an outro, Sterner? You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing as it really helps us out. The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast, available where all good podcasts are available.